0: Though we all know there have been significant divergences, we've discovered several plots that seem certain to be cut. But the showrunners have figured out a few ways to insert some of these. After all, this will be one of the themes of today's book-to-show review of episode three, High Sparrow. I'm going to actually start us off with a listener question/slash suggestion that we've been trying to do a bit more of, take more listener suggestions, more questions, to kind of give this more of an interactive feel. Uh, one thing that we've been noticing, of course, and one thing we, we've been, our attentions have been drawn to is the idea of combined plots, combined characters. The law of conservation of actors is a term that Lady Gwynne uh, coined for us last time around. So, this question comes from Corky94. Sansa, is Sansa going to marry a Then or a Tormund marrying a Mormont? Read the Alice Karstark plot. Well, To me, that might be a little bit of a stretch, but I like how you're thinking. I like that concept. I like where your mind is. The idea of trying to find things that are in the books that the, that the showrunners are going to try to use, even if they use it in a much different way. So hello again everybody, welcome back to another episode of the History of Westeros podcast, a podcast dedicated to George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series, as well as HBO's Game of Thrones. Uh, nowhere do we combine the two more often, or more thoroughly, than we do in these book-to-show episodes. We're going to compare the show to the books as much as possible, be critical where we need to, give praise where we should and joining me again is Yoke Boy and Lady Gwyn from Radio Westeros. Yoke Boy, why don't you start us off?
1: Hi, I'm Yoke Boy. You might uh, remember me if you've been following the series, if this is your first time. Yeah, I'm from Radio Westeros, and hello. Uh, with me is my co-host from Radio Westeros, Lady Gwynn. Do you want to say hello?
2: Yes, hi, Lady Gwen here. I'm very happy to be back to talk about High Sparrow with History at Westeros.
0: Right on. Well, we don't have a Shay today, unfortunately, but we do have three of the same four we had last week, and it went so well that hopefully we can do at least three quarters as well without a Shay this time. But she she should be back next time. She's uh, very busy with school, and that is, of course, an important priority. And this, this show moves so quickly. There's so much to talk about. She doesn't want to be involved unless she can be on top of things. I respect that. So hopefully she'll be back next time. You guys will, um, you know, tell her that you miss her, et cetera, because I know you do. All right. So let's uh, let's dive right in. One thing that is that we are really trying to focus on with these episodes, along with just trying to analyze the detail and break down what happens and make these comparisons, we're also really trying to keep track of the differences because it's actually a little confusing. It's 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 easy to forget, for example, that in the in the show, Jon Snow knows Bran is alive, but in the books he doesn't. And it's, there's tons of little details like that. Well, that's actually kind of a big detail, but there's tons of big and little details. And it's hard to keep track of one because the worlds are so similar. This might be getting easier a little bit because the show is diverging so much. But overall, it's still a lot to keep track of, still a lot of confusion. So hopefully we can make things a little simpler and provide some context. One other, like a good example of something smaller like that, little jokes that they throw in. Uh, Varus has a line, or Tyrion has a line he says to Varus, where he's where Varus says, Who are you going to talk to? And he says, Someone who isn't bald. Well, he ends up talking to Jorah and getting captured by Jorah, who is bald in the books. So he that would, Maybe I wonder if that was a little very, very sneaky joke that they made there, or it might have just been coincidence. I don't know. So, as I alluded to at the beginning, we've started answering listener questions, that's something we started. Just with our show only review, and it's gone really well, and we want to keep that going. So, if you want to have questions answered during the show, send them to us through Twitter or Facebook or Gmail, any of those things, and we will answer them if it's a good question, and your name will get mentioned. So, fun for everybody. We all we all get to win. It's a win-win when you get your name mentioned, and we get to ask a good ask and answer a good question that everyone wants to hear. So, like we said, we like to go over everything really thoroughly. We like to put a lot of detail in these episodes. We go over things as, as, as much as we can. But even with that, because of all the things I talked about with so much to keep track of, we, we occasionally miss things. And that's why we have you lovely listeners out there to occasionally catch our mistakes and alert us to them or at least to point things out that we may not have considered. It's a community endeavor and we want to keep it that way. So, But the bottom line is to have fun. And right now there's a, a, a bit more negativity in the fandom with some of these show changes. And I agree with some of that negativity, but I don't agree with some of, it, some of the others. And I think that it's important to keep things in perspective. And, like, there's legitimate criticism, and then there's just griping, uh, and there's all things in between. And everyone's opinion is valid, but I think it helps to have fun. I think it's better if we're able to have a perspective that's entertaining. Because that is the bottom line here. This is supposed to be fun. We're all fans of Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire. So let's try to have a good time. Let's geek out, dig into this latest episode. Set aside any anxiety we have, even if just temporarily. End of the show, we're going to have some fun new features. We're going to we're gonna play a game called um, weekly or Watch of the Week and of the Week, both uses of the word week, which is basically a death watch. We're going to basically decide who we think is most likely to die. We'll each give our individual opinions. Yoke Boy and Lady Gwynn will, will point out who they think is most likely to die. So will I. We're also going to... Play a few other fun games like guessing who's going to get grayscale. So stay tuned for that at the end of the show. We've got a couple other fun bits. Uh, fun bits? That's That sounds a little dirty. Um, so let's start with the House of Black and White. Uh, I loved how it looked. The music was a really nice touch. It was a creepy scene. Uh, but the first thing we're really shown is the various gods and goddesses from all over the world. And Yoke Boy is going to take us through that, give us some good detail on what we're seeing there
1: well in the books it's worth mentioning that there's 30 gods that Aya sees in the house of black and white but we're going to focus on the ones that we saw on screen okay remember the kind of goat statue that we saw this is the black goat and this is uh, from Kohor in the books Aya sees it and the description is a shaggy black goat the size of an auroch's and another one we see was a lion on the wall, if you remember that. And that is the Lion of the Night from Yi It says, the book quotes is, Beyond her was a man with a lion's head seated on a throne carved of ebony. And later it says, I saw that rich men preferred the Lion of the Night as their god.
0: Never explained, but I wonder why they prefer that, why the rich men prefer it? Mm, maybe we'll find out.
1: Okay so the Drowned God was mentioned by Aya, and we think that it was quite hard to see because it was very dark but there was one sculpture that seemed to be kind of driftwood with some seaweed on it. That's the best we could do when we had a look at it. So we're thinking that resembles the Drowned God which is of course the Ironborn God. Okay and I think the very first one we see was a woman crying Uh, a statue with real water coming out of her eyes and that is the Weeping Woman and that's from Lys and the description says, oh, yeah, says, the Weeping Woman was the favourite of old women this time. Um, Another one is the Weird Face. I'm sure we all know that that's the old gods and I think the second time we saw that, uh, when it was on the right of the picture, I think it was crying crying blood or crying the red sap that we know that the weirwoods do Um nice and creepy fits in with the scene yes it's a very <laughs> creepy dark scene good for the episode and then we saw the flaming heart it is this is reloor but it's worth mentioning in the books that the flaming heart is really exclusive to mel we don't see the flaming heart's anywhere else apart from Mel and on Stannis's sigil and presumably it's Mel that actually get it, gets it put on there. So that, that's worth bearing in mind that there might be different offshoots of the Relore religion. When we're in Volantis we do not see the Flaming Heart for example. Okay and on to the next one. The Stranger. I don't think we actually, oh you mentioned it, I don't think we saw it on screen. But this is the Death aspect of the seven i think it's mentioned it kind of looks very feral more animal than human okay so there's all the gods we saw or that are mentioned and it's so we get around to the god of many faces in effect the god of many faces represents the death facet of each each religion in the tv show this is kind of represented by the comment a girl knows his name and as we know from season one with Sirio, there's only one God, the God of Death. So let's mm-hmm. take a quick look in the books at this kind of God of Death. In Kohor, this is a quote, sorry. In Kohor, he is the black goat. In Yiti, the lion of night. In Westeros, the stranger. All men must bow to him in the end. No matter if they worship the seven or the Lord of light, the moon mother or the drowned God or the great shepherd, all mankind belongs to him. Else somewhere in the world would be a folk who lived forever.
0: Do you know of any folk who live forever? No, she she would answer. All men must die. And where we see shortly after we see this man drinking water from a cup that Jakin, we'll just keep calling him Jakin for convenience's sake, he, or we, we could call him the kindly man, either one fits, and he seemed a little desperate, like he's getting ready to die, and, and Lady Gwynn, how does that go in the books, Is that that's pretty similar, right?
2: It's similar, she, when she first comes into the house black and white, Arya sees the man sitting there, and he's running his hand through the water, she sees the cup, and she doesn't know that it's not just any old water, so she fills it and gives it to him, and he drinks it, and goes off to lie on one of the beds that, um, in the books, they, they have these little stone beds for the supplicants. So, of course, in the books, I think that was really showing that Arya was a real natural. You know, she comes in right off the bat and, you know, facilitates one of these people. So it was a little different there with because in the show, of course, it's Jack and that gives him the... And she's just watching and kind of trying to figure out what is going on. Now... One of the things to should talk about is that the faceless man ethos in the books is actually a duality. Yeah. They view it as a gift. It can be for a sinner or for a sufferer. Basically, there's a quote that says, On the day we were born, the many-faced gods sends each of us a dark angel to walk through life beside us. When our sins and our sufferings grow too great to be born, the angel takes us by the hand to lead us to the nightlands. So for the faceless men, this death is a gift for, again, either a sinner or a sufferer, something that must come to all men. In
0: the end. That's really interesting. Um, I, I took note of some of those things myself, but it's neat to have those kind of refreshed, especially at this point in the show. And boy you noticed something interesting, some, some more, maybe even in a more obscure parallel that perhaps speaks more to the nature of the series. You, you, can, you noticed a connection between the Others and the Faceless Men.
3: Yeah, well,
0: I've seen other people notice this too, but
1: the Others and the Faceless Men might be the perfect natural enemy to each other. Okay, the the faceless men seem to hate slavery, remembering their roots and what the kindly man says. And, um, you know, with the kind of slavery in Valyria. And they also worship death as a natural end to life. So then think about the others. They raise the dead and then keep them as slaves. So, yeah, I think... I wonder if there'll be any tension in the, you know in the distant future between the these two factions in the books because they do
0: seem like natural enemies to me. I agree that's a really interesting con- comparison. Certainly they're pervert they're, the others would be perverting the idea of death and taking that a step further if, if they if the if the faceless men would be offended say just to use a generic term by what the others are doing consider all the other uh, other <laughs> hmm people and forces that are raising the dead we have other supernatural things like the Rolorists the are raising the dead and we have Kyburn, for example kind of raising the dead
3: right. it's
0: there's this this right. raising the dead magic is comes up in a few places so uh watch out people if you're messing with that you get the attention yeah. of the faceless men that's that's not a good thing <laughs> So let's talk real briefly about the difference between Jaqen and the kindly man. Listener Ryan Four Bs F asks, "Are we sure Jaqen isn't the kindly man in the books?" I'd say yes. You know, I'd say we're ninety nine percent sure, and here is the proof of it. Lady Gwen will will go through a couple of quotes here for us that sets it straight.
2: When in the Arya point of view, where she sees him uh, sees uh, Jaqen transform, um, it says he passed a hand down his face from forehead to chin. And where it went, he changed. His cheeks grew fuller, his eyes closer, his nose hooked. A scar appeared on his right cheek where no scar had been before. And when he shook his head, his long straight hair, half red and half white, dissolved away to reveal a cap of tight black curls. So then if we fast forward to the description of the alchemist in the Feast for Crows prologue, Uh, we get a young man's face, ordinary with full cheeks and the shadow of a beard. A scar showed faintly on his right cheek. He had a hooked nose and a mat of dense black hair that curled tightly around his ears.
0: So we have the same scar, the same nose, the same hair, the same full cheeks, and this person is clearly a faceless man, this alchemist, because he turns into Pate after killing him with the same poison gold coin that Arya kills the insurance man with later uh in a dance with dragons i think that is that could be part of feast for crows but i think that's a dance with dragons and takes pate's place which is the last thing we see in a feast for crows it's like a like a dangling cliffhanger there oh you know a faceless man has infiltrated the the citadel it seems pretty clear that he's a faceless man and looking really deep it it seems to show that he's absolutely Jacob now the, the possibility that he's not Jaikin does exist because, you know, if they can, if, if these are people who can change their faces. There's nothing to say that some other faceless man couldn't have taken this exact same face. But that seems doubtful. It seems like this is Jaikin, and we're going to operate under that assumption. So, Yoke boy there's another thing about Arya that is really important from the scene. You had some, some thoughts on Needle and how it comparing her experience, Arya's experience with Needle and her thoughts on Needle recalling some things from the book that are really important that add some some more strength to this scene yeah i do think that it was a strong scene and tv watchers
1: will kind of get it you know that that it's very important to her but in the books it really spells out why it's so important to aya okay there's a really brilliant quote i'm gonna read out it's just a sword she said allow this time but it wasn't Needle was Rob and Bran and Rickon, her mother and her father, even Sansa. Needle was Winterfell's grey walls and the laughter of its people. Needle was the summer snows, old man's stories, the heart tree with its red leaves and scary face, the warm earthy smell of the glass gardens, the sound of the north wind rattling the shutters on her room. Needle was Jon Snow's smile. So you can see this is like the, the remnants of a stark identity embodied in this blade. And I think it just makes it that much more powerful in the books when, when you read that and you, you really realize what it means to her after everything she's lost and how alone she is. There. That's what,
0: one thing I like I particularly like about the show. You're, you're totally right that the book gives it more power and the two together are really, really powerful because if you've already read that scene or if you have had it fresh in your mind like we all do now and then you watch that scene, it's a, it's even more powerful because you get Maisie Williams' amazing acting, her facial expressions are perfect, and you get to know what this character is thinking about and how important it is to her, and that just makes it more powerful. Something I've thought about and I've done a little bit of that I want to do more of is listening to the audiobook while reading it at the same time to see how that you know sinks in and this is a bit of a similar thing having the show show you things that we've for some of us we've had in our mind mental images of for literally a decade or more and it's a real weird experience usually positive sometimes a little jarring seeing what it's going to be on screen so for example another thing that's probably less jarring but different from what what probably nearly all of us imagined was this view of the waif who seems to be different in the show in a few ways that are a little fundamental first of all the actress's name is Faye Marseille and she's been in the White Queen so if you've seen that before that might be where you recognize her The one major difference is that she seems to be a subordinate here. She seems, Jaqen seems to be kind of in charge or above her in some way. Whereas in the books, they're both priests. They're both equals. And that's kind of subtle. I I didn't even catch that my first maybe two times through the book. I I kind of, for some reason, just assumed the kindly man was in charge for some reason. But that was not true by any means. They're just, uh, they don't, there's, if there's some sort of high priest at that temple, we haven't met him. But that would be kind of an interesting thing to think about. Is there some sort of... Like who's in charge there, you know? <laughs> but another question that from the same same listener, Ryan Forbes Forby's F, asks, Are we sure the faceless men accept money as payments? Certainly, of course, they do in the books, and it's complicated and not thoroughly spelled out. But there hasn't been any indication of that in the show yet. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. So we're I would answer the question as no, we're not sure. We're, de- we're not sure at all. That's that's sort of how it works in the books. But as far as the show, we're kind of just scratching the surface of this plot line, so we'll have to wait and see where they take it. Another thing that goes on with the waif is that she suggests that they're playing this game of faces, which in the books is, a way, is like the lying game, which is when the waif and Arya take turns telling things to each other and reading each other's facial expressions to try to figure out if they're lying. And that is going to make, in the long term, think about the ramifications of that. about that in the long term, if Ari's going to be an expert at detecting lies, that could play... It's hard to Im- exactly imagine how that will play out, but I like the idea of her being able to do that in the future. That sounds, that sounds cool.
2: <laughs> yeah, <it's> useful skill.
0: <laughs> and the scene kind of closes out... Well, not the scene, the series of scenes at the house of black and white kind of closes out with them cleaning this dead body. At, at first I was thinking that this is mostly about them just getting accustomed to death, working with bodies means death becomes less of a, a crazy idea to them. It's more comfortable and normal, but there's also that the thinking about this flaying room and the, that they have to take, they have all the faces in the basement and, and I don't know of any connections to the Boltons, and I wouldn't imagine necessarily that there are, but it's hard not to think of the Boltons when you hear of flaying and, and faces being cut off in a secret room with skins hanging in it.
3: <laughs> right.
0: uh, do either of you have any thoughts on that whole thing, or is that just something that we got to wait and see on?
2: Yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's probably a wait and see, but I had the same, you know, kind of train of thought when I was I was thinking about that, watching that scene.
0: And they're both in this episode. We see flayed right. bodies and we see, for show, people who haven't read the books, they're not going to know about the flaying in the House of Black and White just yet, but it's coming, and of course we got, you know, a face full of flaying from the Winterfell scene <laughs> this time around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Yes, it was uh, very gruesome. Mm-hmm. The actors who volunteered to be flayed for that scene probably are regretting Wait, yeah, that's that's not yeah. what, that's not <laughs> what happened, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's let's go to King's Landing. That's all for the House of Black and White in this episode. Like I, like I said, we're just kind of scratching the surface with that with that subject in the show, and we'll just have to see where it goes. Very much looking forward to it, but there's a little less there's a little less to analyze at this point. It's, it's it hasn't really gotten into the meat of it. So King's Landing. Let's take a look at King's Landing. I think one of the most interesting things going on here. Is it's a it's kind of a backdrop between this uh, this whole episode. We have both the Boltons and Littlefinger, and even Cersei herself, all kind of thinking or acting or relating to the subject of how the Lannisters are really starting to fall off. Their power is diminished. And Lady Gwen, what are some of the, what are some of the major things that the Lannisters have lost?
2: Well, you know, uh, I think Littlefinger notes that Tywin. You know, sort of held that Lannister power base together through sheer willpower, and now obviously he's dead. So what if they got left? Jamie's crippled. Um, Tyrion's an outcast. Tommen. <laughs>
0: Tommen. He's he's adorable. A boy king. Less of a boy not, than... you know, not much there. Yeah. <laughs> we
2: get to that. But <laughs> less of a boy than he was. He yeah. was <laughs> <Yeah>. still. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Yes. And then we have
0: that we have these fearsome warriors that they had like the mountain and the hound they don't have them anymore either and and speaking of what do you got? What's the deal with the Kingsguard these days? That's kind of a subject that's really kind of fallen off. The show hasn't paid much attention to. They it. Are we, they're marching they're, around. They're definitely there. We see them walking around, but the only ones the only ones with faces are Maron Trant and, and Jamie Lannister, who's obviously not uh, who's heading to Dorne right now. Well, all I can
1: all I can think is that you know they they obviously want a spare slot if <laughs> a certain eight foot giant comes back, uh, which we're going to talk about actually. Yeah. But other than that, I, I don't i don't know i think the readers just supposed to kind of imagine that there's a king's uh, Maybe they, i mean there's always
2: loris i mean we don't really know what's yet to happen with yeah him, but... will he
0: yeah. make it in the king's or not yeah that's mm. that's that whole situation's funky because of that, you know they didn't. There's no Garland and no Willis. And right. We it's a it's a good place to point out that Tywin did threaten Olena with that whole thing. Mm-hmm. With hey, I'll, then if you do that, I'll, I forget what the why he threatened it, what the conversation was about, but he said, yeah, if you do that, I'll name Loris to the Kingsguard.
2: Which mm-hmm. which would be a nifty parallel Touché. to what happened with his own heir, wouldn't it?
0: That would be so, yes. That would be very cool. Actually, that'd be a good show thing. That uh, a show parallel that the books didn't do, and I, I, I would appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, so basically it looks like there's kind of there's blood in the water. The sharks are smelling it. The Boltons, the little finger the little fingers, like that's a house. House
2: little All finger. the little fingers
0: <laughs> around the realm. <laughs> <laughs> or the viruses of the realm. That's the no finger.
2: Right. <laughs> no little finger there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and so and, and even Cersei herself, who is in charge, which is, you know, if you're a Lannister fan, you may not be happy that Cersei's the one running the show. But she's also kind of focused on internal power struggles, isn't she? She's not necessarily looking out to see the the other dangers. And she even kind of shoots herself in the foot with the whole Kevin situation. I like that title, Master of War, that she tried to give him. It's a nod. It's yet another nod to the books that's not done in the way of the books. In A Feast for Crows, Cersei, in her it's a marketing technique almost. She's remaking the small council (laughs) using her own names that are basically Eastern titles. Instead of master of laws, it's justiciar instead of, Master of Ships, it's Grand Admiral. So I think mm-hmm. this Master of War is like a nod to her changing the titles mm-hmm. and making things up as she goes along. Me and me and Lady Gwynne were wondering if it's a nod to a Bob Dylan song. <laughs> <laughs> a song called
1: Masters of War. So.
0: Well, I, I think Martin, George R. R. Martin, I think is yeah. a fan of Bob Dylan. I don't know about <laughs> D&D, though. I'm not, I'm not sure about them. <laughs> the thing that Cersei is most focused on, and this is a, a very subtle difference from the books that dawned on me very late last night kind of almost at the last minute and that is that in the books we see Cersei is paranoid about the Tyrells about their encroachment about how they're getting council seats and the marriage and all these other things and they're making too many decisions that's not really in place here in the show even though it kind of seems like it is because it's similar at least on the surface, to the fact that she's got this huge conflict with Marjorie, But really, that's the only person in the Tyrell she's got a major problem with. I mean, she doesn't like Olena, but she hasn't really seen Olena as a major problem to this point. Think about, consider this, she gives Mace Tyrell two council seats. That doesn't sound like something you would do if you were afraid of Tyrell encroachment. That's seeing Mace Tyrell as a lickspittle, you know, wannabe who is a sycophant. So she's, that's why she's sticking him with that job. But this creates another interesting possibility. Uh, Cersei versus Marjorie. what are her thoughts? Is she going to try to bring her down the same way? Is she going to try to do this you know, sex scandal thing? Is, that, is it leading that way? I, it's hard to say. So let's move on to where that happens. This, the High Sparrow is, of course, the, at the center of that plot line in the books. And let's talk about that. What was your guys' impression, just off the start, real simply, what was your impression of the way they portrayed the High Septon and the way they portrayed the High Sparrow? We'll start with you, Lady um,
2: Well, I thought it was great. Um, obviously, you had the, um, the High Septon <laughs> in that scene in the brothel. <laughs> that was classic HBO, but it was... Um... <laughs> they had to had they had to, to show one. us an ass seven. didn't they so, <laughs> so there he was with the seven yes um, and, and, right and then his own so we bad, got eight of them but I that guess. was yeah. that was cool um <laughs>
0: And then we got then we got the Daenerys cosplay yeah. ass later too. So there was just so much ass this episode. <laughs> a ton of. Uh, is, is there three. a brothel?
1: Is there a brothel <laughs> in every yeah, episode? Should watch. we do a brothel watch from now on? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, do they fill uh, their quota?
0: There's a lot of other Game of Thrones podcasts out there. We'll brothel let one watch. of them handle the brothel
2: stuff. The brothel get... watch. Um, no, so yeah, no.
0: So he's. Uh, go ahead yeah keep going there did you have any any other thoughts on the high sparrow or or, or how about what are your thoughts on the high new high sparrow, high sparrow? I mean, um, he's portrayed I,
2: I liked him you know it's funny because in the books i didn't find the character likable
0: yeah he's so he's, he's just so just, i don't know um, angry or
2: just too zealous Speedy. i don't know what it's hard to. i can't he's, think of the right word but. whatever he yeah, is sanctimonious. not likable and this guy seems likable he's out there you know Helping the poor, feeding the poor, and um, seems pretty um, pretty humble um, so far. I'm sure you know that could change, but his
0: Jonathan yes. Price's charisma, of course, helps Absolutely. a lot. Got a great actor yeah. playing this role. I was, I... I thought he
1: was brilliant. I thought he was really brilliant, and I, I thought that you know the the humble side to him is gonna make it very powerful later on if what what we think will happen is going to happen.
0: Yeah. In the book, he's introduced as, you know, he's standing there with a scrub brush and some other bishop is, or not bishop, <laughs> another one of the most devout is is on the ground scrubbing with his hands and knees, and Cersei is a little confused. He doesn't know, she doesn't recognize this new person as the High Septon, and he says the smith finds work pleasing. So that's a bit of a similarity, because in the show, he's not doing work, but he's feeding the poor. He's doing, a, you know, the role of a different one of the gods, basically, and, and taking care of people. I guess it's kind of like the father or the mother, a little of both. Now, in the books, here's a here's a good thing to keep track of, a good thing to, to note the differences on. In the books, that Cersei gets rid of the old High Septon because he was appointed by Tyrion. That was her, you know. She re- she just realized that one day. She's like, "Oh my God, that High Septon was appointed <laughs> yeah. by Tyrion. He's got to go." And she has, I believe, Osmond Kettleblack go and kill him in his sleep. And in the show, it's a little more. Cersei isn't is so dastardly. She just he, he's a he's a he's a terrible hypocrite so she just throws him in the black cells and, and no one's gonna say oh you shouldn't have done that that's that's kind of like a moment where we everyone agrees with Cersei but then she comes around and and starts to look like she wants to make this alliance with the High Sparrow and we all having read the books we know that's probably not going to go very well but I have an interesting question here what do you guys think about Lancel do you think Lancel was acting on his own or do you think the High Sparrow directed him or is that mm. or is that just a kind of a mystery that we'll have to wait and see on i I'm really not no. sure
1: I'm not sure, but I think what what's important is that Lancel is acting because of the presence of the high sparrow that maybe he's he's had some inspiration, whether it's a direct order or or whether you, you know he is acting of his own accord I, I think that you know the really interesting thing for me is that. Is it just because this new character is there in the kind of epicenter of this kind of new wave of, uh, you know, zealot, religious, whatever you want to call it?
0: Well, well said. Um, and I think you're right. I doubt. I'm kind of guessing they don't have a lot of. He's not just giving out orders. He 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 acted like it might have just been the way he was presenting himself to Cersei, but he certainly was acting humble. He rejected the title of High Sparrow, kind of made a joke about it, and. You can, we can see from the trailers that the, the Faith is clearly going to get some power. Do you want, do, I guess we can expect that as part of making an ally with them, Cersei's going to allow them to arm. And I really wonder what the early implications of that are. If she's not fully against the Tyrells and she's more focused on Marjorie, is that similar enough? Is that going to allow the plot to progress kind of the way it does? Well, since Marjorie is kind of the focus of that, of her infidelity, of her, you know, dilly-dallying around, allegedly... Uh, that could still fit in very nicely. It could work out. But it could also be kind of, it could also spin out of control. We, there's some evidence from the trailers about Loras and Loras foreshadowing in the first episode of how he's too open with his gayness and this the High Septon. Something that Ashea looked up that we didn't mention in the first episode, we were kind of under the impression that we weren't sure whether the faith in Westeros Is against homosexuality or not. And she did find evidence of that. We couldn't find any before, but it has turned up. So apparently that is a thing. Apparently that is canon that the Faith are against homosexuality. Maybe not to the degree that the fever pitch that we see in in the real world, but they definitely don't look on it kindly. So that will fit as far as a potential plot line. Loris getting in trouble because they think he's a sinner and that's certainly an assault on the Tyrells. And I wonder if making that this high sparrow, you know, humble
1: he seems like a nice guy. Will Cersei will make a mistake. You know, she'll trust him when she shouldn't, you know, pr- perhaps he's gonna turn out to have another side at the moment we're kind of like Lady Gwynne said, Oh he seems nice. But it could be disaster for the Lannisters and the Tyrells. And, you know, if it's anything like the books, then it will be.
2: Right. She misjudges so much in so many people in the book. So yeah. it would be a surprise that they carry that through here.
0: Good points. Okay, so the last... So, but what we see here, part of the... And one of the undertones here with Cersei's move here is that she's looking for new allies. She's looking for people who are powerful. And she recognizes this High Sparrow as having power because so many people look up to him. And she... Cersei has her flaws, but she's got a nose for power. And she recognizes this guy as a potential player, as someone who can move things around, someone to have in her corner. As you said, Yoke Boy. He, that's probably not going to work out for her because we know we sort of know it's coming in the books and it may work out differently, but it probably won't go well. But she's looking for other allies, isn't she? And one guess that we think we have is something that's revealed in the next scene which is with Kyburn. She comes in on Kyburn and says that she wants him to send this message to Littlefinger and she wants him to make sure he understands the meaning of the word immediately. Now she doesn't seem angry. She doesn't seem upset. I don't think she knows about Sansa. She doesn't know he's gone to Winterfell. That's for sure. Because we find out later the message went to the Eerie and not to, to Winterfell. So Now here's the thing, here's the theory that we've come up with that I think is really interesting. First of all, she left the position, she gave those positions to Mace, two positions to Mace, all the other small council seats are taken. So if it sounds like she's trying to bring Littlefinger back, I think that's what the immediately means, that she wants him to return to King's Landing immediately. She's looking for more allies, she's looking for help with how Marjorie is totally defeating her in the battle for Tommen because... Cersei has no hope of defeating Marjorie when Tommen is just smitten and is discovered, just discovered sex and you know he's a thirteen or twelve year old boy and he's having sex with this beautiful mm-hmm. experienced woman who's also emasculating him and make turning her turning him against his mother. She just doesn't have she doesn't really have a leg in that fight because Marjorie just has the upper hand so massively there. So she's looking for other allies, both politically and on this personal level. And I wonder if what she has in mind for Littlefinger. The one job that she's left open is Hand of the King. Of course, this is nothing like the books. Well, not yet anyway. Maybe that could happen later. I don't see it. I doubt it. But I really think that's a strong possibility that we'll see Cersei attempt to name Littlefinger Hand of the King. What do you, what do you guys think of that? you think the ramifications of that are just the... Is that, is that shocking? Is that crazy? No, I think it, I think it's a really good idea
1: as these. I think when we were you know, preparing for this broadcast and you came up with this. We're kind of talking around it. And then I think you nailed it. You know, I think that we were set up last week when someone said, who's the hand of the king? It made it very clear. Like with the Kingsguard, they don't say who's in the Kingsguard because they, you know, they don't want to think about it, but they really want us to think, hey, there's no hand. And we we get this letter. And, you know, I, I really think that she could be, she could be asking, and I, I doubt that Littlefinger wants to. Uh, well, we, we'll come to Littlefinger, won't we? But I doubt very much he's going to take her up.
0: <laughs> yeah, well? it, it's a tough call, right? He doesn't want to get found out, but he might be tempted by the idea of being able to manipulate things from the inside, or that position of power might be just so tempting for him, as ambitious as he is. Uh, it's, it, 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 he wouldn't lightly. I agree with you that he might not take it, but he, he's not just going to instantly reject it either. Lady Gwen, what do you think?
2: I had a lot of thoughts about after we talked about it last night. Um, I think it's a great idea. Um, and I liked the sort of um, parallel of Littlefinger being in Winterfell and getting this invitation to be Hand of the King with Ned. Ha!
3: Because <laughs> there was Ned
2: in Winterfell, and he got this invitation that wasn't really an invitation. I mean, I think, you know, it depends, I guess, who the who the request comes from, but... You know, sometimes it's more of a command than a request. Um, So it's just a neat thing that occurred to me. But the other thing I thought of was with regards to the books, there's, um, well, I guess there is, uh, Kevin was the regent.
0: Yeah, and Mace was the hand. So
2: Mace was the hand. So, I mean, there's some room for this, for some sort of fluidity in the small council. The small council, I think we might have talked about this, is very, um, very shrunken by the end of the the beginning of Winds of Winter. Yeah. And Mace Tyrell is a good bit
0: different too. He's, he's a lot more inept and and he's, he's pretty inept in the books, but he's got a big ego and he's, he blusters and talks over people where he doesn't really, doesn't have nearly as strong a personality in the show.
2: Right. So, you know, even think even in the books, there's room for maybe a place for, or a a suggestion to put Littlefinger on the small council. Yeah not that i necessarily think so but so anything's possible
0: and this ties in like you said uh yoke boy about the whole Kingsguard thing and how they're kind of keeping our attention away from it it was a bit of a deflection cersei said that she wanted to leave that position open she doesn't need a hand of the king but that was before yeah. her falling out with kevin and before exactly her... that that's yeah that's what i meant
1: it brought our, our attention to it and and then in the same it was the same scene wasn't it Kevin marched off back to Castley Rock, so it seems very suspicious to
0: me. So she's losing a major ally, and then it gets worse because we have all these scenes with Cersei and Marjorie where Marjorie just needles her relentlessly. Bringing her down about her age, about her connection to Tommen, about her new title, queen. Are you queen mother or queen dowager? Just all these, just
2: oh, and the wine.
0: Yeah, and the wi- we don't have yeah, any wine. Yeah, it's, it's don't have any just wine. it's just nonstop. <laughs> Every sentence out of her mouth is a take down is a put down of Cersei, and Cersei just manages to keep her cool. And but you know, in her mind, she's like, oh, I'm gonna get. Oh, you are. I am gonna get you. <laughs> like you just great. wait. Like if if it was if we were inside her head in the book, it would be just like steaming like there'd be steam rising from the pages you know <laughs> yeah. right. but like but like i was alluding to though the this 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 scene kind of combines these things we have this potential first for the small council to fill out with a new hand of the king potentially but we also have this the, the future of the king's guard on display here you yoke, uh, yoke boy what do you think about the potentials for sir robert strong uh, this season or maybe later or i i think you know it could be this season why not
1: why not I hope so. this actor? This actor that's been under the sheets. <laughs> he needs. We, <laughs> they're paying him. I wonder if it's the real mountain actor. That
0: would be funny <laughs> if they hired him just to sit
1: under the sheet for a scene. Hey, that's an opportunity
0: for to have a fourth actor for the mountain. They're like, yeah, well, we had the first three, and then we had a dude under a sheet, and then we brought back the third guy. And
3: you know. right. Right. <laughs> yeah, that- I
1: heard Sean Bean. Sean Bean said he wanted to come back, so perhaps it was him. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and how creepy is growing
1: in his creepiness isn't he he's great he is getting creepier he didn't even flinch and maybe some of you watchers uh... Did when the the creature under the sheet suddenly rose? I think he heard he, he was in shackles. He called
0: it friend. He said easy friend, like easy friend. 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 <laughs> yeah. He's just so calm about it. Yeah,
3: I'm busy writing a note here. So, <laughs> it doesn't so even. It, look. This dates
1: back. <laughs> This dates back to the end of last season, doesn't it? Where we saw the mountain's body and he kind of had tubes and, and stuff coming out of him. And we, that was a bit of a hint of what was to come. But at this point with the rat experimentation with the dwarf's head, we can get the sense that we do in the books now that he is a true kind of classic horror Character <laughs> uh, in, in the in the book, Cersei says he looks like everyone's favorite grandfather, which I love. Nice <laughs> 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 Cersei judging people again on their looks. Well, well done. Um, fail, 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 fail. Yeah, yeah, he's fail. And I think <laughs> you, yeah, you saw when he's experimenting with the rats, and he kind of gets blood everywhere. He just he doesn't seem to care. I think that it, we're slowly going down that road of Robert Strong. And I think the big question is... No, I'll leave that to Lady Gwyn. What's the big question in Lady Gwyn?
2: Uh, the big question is um, whether... Uh, Cersei asks how the progress is coming, and we, so we assume this is in some allusion to the head that they need to send to Dorne. Um, so the big question is whether this is a dwarf's head that they're going to send <laughs> to Dorne? Uh, they are noted to be unnaturally large or whether it's gregor's actual head so are they, they pulling a fast one on dorn and sending them a, a you know beetle down dwarf's head or are they actually sending gregor's head and then gregor has a dwarf's head sewn to his body <laughs> it's a it's uh, going to be a mystery find out. <laughs> big question that's what we all want to know
0: i really country. am excited to see what he's going to look like on screen you know what they're going to do right. they've done a. usually they do a really good job of coming up with good costumes mm. sometimes the costumes don't necessarily fit what we picture but they pretty much always look cool even if they're different and yeah imagine his i think it's described this really pristine
1: white enamel armor bigger than the any that's ever been made or something like that yeah the ar- It'd be interesting to see, and I imagine him walking, you know, quite like a robot, (laughs) because it's it's obviously some kind of necromancy. He's obviously hasn't got the human touch. Yeah, imagine him being quite robotic and just stood there for hours without
0: needing the privy. (laughs) Well, speaking of things coming back to life, let's head far, far to the north to the wall, and where we've got some interesting scenes, some some interesting parallels that are. Different from the books, but I think a lot of things are going to work out a little similarly. They're just going to take a different path to get there. We start with Stannis, Jon, Davos, and Ollie with the whole Jon Stark scene, we'll call it. Now, I think a very interesting undertone here is looking ahead to who's going to turn on Jon. We are almost positive that's going to happen. It happens in the books. Which Night's Watchmen are going to turn on him? And I'm pretty sure that one of them is a little scary. Our warden of the north, the bastard of Starkville, Jesse asks, is Alistair Thorne the new Bowen Marsh? I'm not so sure he is. I think he's going to be sent out into the wild like he is in the books. I think he's since he's the first ranger, that really uh, seems to be happening. And he's going to be sent out into the wild. And that might be where he meets his fate. I think who I'm really worried about becoming part of the team Bowen Marsh is Ollie. Little Ollie is his steward now, so he's in a position of, of, of interest, and he's learning things, and he's hearing all the secrets. But the bottom line is, when the, when the question of what to do with the wildlings comes up, and John says, yeah, I'd like most of, I think most of my brothers would be happy seeing them dead, the camera goes right on Ollie. It's focused right on mm-hmm. him. We're reminded that Ollie hates the wildlings. Again, they right. killed his parents. Of course he hates them. So if John starts bringing the wildlings in and tries to you know concatenate the wildlings with the night's watch to bring them all together mm. we know some people are going to not go that's not going to go well for her, and i'm pretty sure ollie is going to be one of those people that particularly is upset with this that sees this as a betrayal and that mm. could turn very very tragic what do you guys think about that you see that happening with ollie or do you think it'll be somebody else or or maybe some some something that maybe is that else is going to be in the part of the picture
2: uh, definitely saw the Ollie thing, you know. It was, I think we did we talk about it last week? A little bit, yeah. Um, the little bit, um, A little and bit, and then when you know, and I wasn't sure, but when they it, this week, I just when they showed that scene, that look on his face, yeah. I thought, oh, there we go. <laughs> this kid is. Well, what are some yeah. What are some other
0: things that you notice from the scene about what's what's going to happen with John in the future, tied into what we think is coming from the books?
2: Well, I think the uh, the scene with Stannis and then Davos really. Um, while it does diverge from what's in the books, it sets um, John up to take the wildlings south. Um, first, when you know, Stannis says, I, "I leave their fate to you." So obviously, now it's up to John to do you know whatever he's going to do with the wildlings. Right on. Um, uh, set them free. I guess they're all being held prisoners. Yes, so, Stannis yeah. mentions so, to keep
0: their en- keep your enemies close, or shouldn't keep mm-hmm. your enemy close. John says that, and and Mance or Stannis says, "Yeah, that's." It's that person who says that hasn't had a lot of enemies and that to me is a, that's actually a little parallel to the the books Melisandre's the one who gives John that warning in the books right. and a couple of Melisandre's lines are divvied up between Stannis and Davos in the scene but yep. one key thing that is lacking and that is the big difference that we pointed out in the middle or rather the beginning of this episode is the fact that John is aware that Bran is alive and He's not aware of that in the books, but he doesn't bring it up here. Stannis is looking for right. a start to install in Winterfell to, have to rally the North, and that doesn't come up. Do you think that that is an oversight by the showrunners, or maybe Jon doesn't want to tell Stannis? Any thoughts on that, guys?
2: Um, I would...
0: That's a tough one, huh? Yeah.
2: <laughs> it is tough, because you know the big part of me wants to just say that's, that's kind of an oversight or, or a plot hole. <laughs> um, it could be because they could have easily had him mention it to Sam even if he wasn't going to say anything to yeah it uh, could least, they, they could at least they could at least have so.
0: given us the the peace of mind of knowing that they co- that, that that they're they thought of it that's right that's covered um, so. so we'll see though it might be something that comes up a little later but because um, mm-hmm. that whole plot is interesting with, um, with Davos right what is Davos taking the other thing that Davos takes Mel's place on uh, Lady Gwen tell us about that
2: well, he's um, he, his comment that Stannis likes you. He sees something in you. You know, that's that's definitely a Mel thing. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's there's still that critical difference that exists, which is the same as in the books. Um, Mel is firmly focused on what's north of the wall, while Davos is more the more pragmatic one. And in this scene. Um, when he's talking to John about the Night's Watch vows, you know, I'm the shield that guards the realm of realms of men. He's not pointing to shielding them from what's north. He's pointing south and yeah. sort of setting John up again to be head and south. This got
0: my crack. This this set my crackpot alarm, my tinfoil alarms off when I when I reconsidered this scene because. One of the things, one of the big mysteries of a Dance of Dragons is the pink letter. And there's a lot of theories out there, and I think one of the great one of the things that makes it a great mystery is how viable so many different theories are. The theory that, of course, the what we're presented with is that Ramsey wrote it. Of course, there's very solid theories on people like Mance writing it, or even someone like Stannis or Melisandre writing it. And those work. You can't just completely eliminate those possibilities. There's some holes in those ideas, but there's there aren't huge holes anywhere in any of those theories. So I wonder how they might incorporate that same thing because I don't see a pink letter type exact type scenario happening in the show. But I think they want to give us some kind of mystery or at least touch on the same circumstances. And so when I think of Stannis and, John, or Stannis and Davos trying to get John to go south – I think of that because the whole idea that Stan if the pink letter was written by Stannis or for someone loyal to Stannis, that would be why. It would be to get John to come south to add more manpower to Stannis' cause, which is something that Stannis arguably needs very badly. So with that in mind, this gives just a little bit of extra credibility to the possibility that Maybe Stannis or one of his people wrote the pink letter to try and get John involved militarily on, in Stannis's side, even if just circumstantially or accidentally. The other major... <laughs> but the other, the other interesting factor here is that Davos is here at the Wall, which gives us some cool scenes. He gets to chat with John and other people. But of course, in the books, he's off trying to find Rickon. So how is that? That's kind of why I was thinking of Bran and kind of why I'm thinking a little bit of Sansa right? Sansa maybe is, Sansa's the one who's in the North. She's the Stark in the North right now. If they're going to rally around a Stark, it could be her. And it could be using the, you know, combining plots theory and the way that the the showrunners try to streamline things. Why bring Rickon back this young child actor when you can just have them bring someone else there to rally around like Sansa, who's already there.
2: She's
0: there, she is. Yeah, so Sansa could be taking Rickon's place as the rallying point uh, in the north for Stannis. That's really interesting. So we'll have to see where that goes. Now, here's an unrelated, somewhat unrelated question, but I think it's a good question because it speaks to these characters in play here. And uh, listener Derek Credle wants to know, why did Davos take onions to Stannis in the first place? Why did he turn from his smuggling ways and become a good guy. Because Davos is a great man, as we all know. We, he's one of the most popular characters, one of the most widely liked characters, one of the fewest characters, like the, the shortest list of negatives, like you listing his the, the good yes. qualities and bad qualities. is like Davos does not have very many bad qualities. So why, but you think about that, and you're like, well, how could this guy have ever been a smuggler in the first place? You guys have any thoughts on that?
1: Uh, okay, I was just going to say that... You know, I've got a very practical answer to the question that, you know, supply and demand. Smugglers are concerned with supply and demand when people are starving and you've got a a boatload of onions. Who who, who do you think is going to pay more in the end? The the well-fed people at the King's Landing bakery or or the, the people that are just about to eat each other? You know, I think... Uh, you know, as nice of a guy as Davos is, you know, if he's a smuggler, it would be a very pragmatic, practical decision for me. Yeah, the price of
0: onions would be... You probably couldn't find a better price for onions on the entire planet at that point. And he was right. It got him a knighthood. It, It also cost him his fingers. But another aspect of this I thought is worth consideration is that he's starting to have children. He's a bit older. He's got... By the time he quit smuggling... And you see this in the few, when he's dealing with his sons and how his sons all they just want to forget that they're this, they they prefer thinking of their father as a knight. They don't like thinking of his life before that because that's to them that's demeaning. It's 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 a low, it's a lower social status. And Davos, like a lot of human beings, once wanted a. I think he may have just wanted a better life for his children. So it's a little of both. I think you're right. I like your ideas there, Matt. But I, I this is this is Game of Thrones. It doesn't have to be one reason so i no i I think i think that they work together i think that you know he could he could want the
1: best for his children but again it's a calculation well hold on if i deliver this then you know i might be in a better place yeah kind of thing you know i I could do a great deed here i could do a great deed or i could just give these onions to you know a bakery it's (laughs) it's, uh it can be a bit of both i think i doubt he
0: would find i doubt he would Onions could be smuggled anywhere else, though. It wouldn't be smuggling. <laughs> it's like onions, <laughs> contraband it's, onions. It does. It seems like an odd cargo <laughs> for a yeah, he, he found out he, he thought he was hauling a load of diamonds and he opened it up and there was like, Wow, these are onions, not diamonds. How am I gonna that make one. my money how am I gonna make my money back on these things? I guess I'll
2: uh I oh yes, I, I paid
0: over the odds for these onions.
2: <laughs> Find a starving castle, yeah. <laughs>
0: So let's move on to another scene at the wall here. We've got the shield hall, which we, is, it's named that in the books. We'll go ahead and call it that because we don't have another name for it. It's given that name because knights, the wall used to have a lot more knights in it and they would hang up their shields on the walls. And there, so there's just tons of different sigils and, and shields all over the place in the, in the books. So it's kind of a neat, uh, neat concept. I don't, I don't suppose that they went took that step with designing it for the show, I don't blame them, that sounds like an expensive thing to come up with, all those different sigils all over the walls, but it would have been cool to see that. But, a little bit a little bit of tragedy foreshadowed here, something we all know is coming, Maester Eamon is, is on his way out at some point this season, most likely, and it's already foreshadowed because it's briefly mentioned at the beginning of the scene that Eamon is too sick to be at this meeting. Uh, there's an episode called Kill the Boy coming up later, which is a reference to Jon Snow having to, you know, not to having to become... The Lord Commander, and stop being, you know, just a steward or, or a young man. He has to kill the, old, the boy inside him and become a man. That's that's what Maester Eamon says to Egg, a.k.a. Aegon Fifth, as he himself is taking the Black and heading north, because that was his brother. So I think what we'll see is Eamon's deathbed speech, which we'll talk about more when it actually happens in the show. It's a wonderful speech. It's really sad, and we'll, we'll cover it a little bit later when it comes up because I imagine they'll give him something, but I think the kill, I'm predicting right now, the kill the boy speech is going to be his deathbed speech instead of his stuff about Daenerys and, and all these other things, and the princess mm-hmm. that was promised. So right.
3: Right.
0: We, are, we talked briefly a bit already about how Alistair Thorne is probably going to be his, a similar role in the show or in the books compared to how he's going out in the wild as a member of one of these ranging parties. One question is, will Thorne see it the same way? In the, in the books... Thorne sees his new mission as being sent off to die. Do you guys think that is, will Thorne react similarly or is it, is there something else in play here? Because Thorne's a, a good bit differently, a good bit different in the, in the books or in the show than he is in the books. He's a little bit more sympathetic. He's, he's a little bit more charismatic. He's a lot more charismatic Still kind of an ass, but he's a lot more likable. I'm wondering if there's a little bit of mutual respect between John and Alistair
1: in the TV show. I don't know if it's my imagination, but, you know, some of the glances they give each other, I'm not sure whether it's pure Mm. loathing Mm -hmm. or whether there's, the you know, a modicum of respect. I mean, John has just... he, Alistair was probably expecting to be thoroughly demoted when John became you know, Lord Commander in the TV show. And he gave him a good position, he did. really. Mm-hmm. Who, 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 know, who knows? He, he might see it as a kind of conspiracy. But um, I, I think that, John, John, I think underneath that, there might be a bit of mutual respect.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree. I think I, I saw some hints of that as well. I'm not sure that's what's going on, but I definitely agree that there's some hints for it. And it might be something that is a good difference from the show to books. That would be kind of interesting to see them have a, rivalry based on mutual respect that is grown out of a rivalry based on just hating each other from the (laughs) get-go that would be kind of an interesting twist for what we'd be expecting Um, that would be kind of cool
1: and of course it's interesting it's interesting in the books if there'll be a big issue about respect in in their kind of relationship if John turns out to be a Targaryen because he was a Targaryen loyalist
0: that's true that's why so that that will
1: be a yeah, I think that that's a great reason to keep Alistair alive in both, hmm. you know, in both in
0: both mediums because the, the dynamics between them two can can bring a lot. That's interesting. I hadn't actually hadn't thought about that at all. The the the, the, the Targaryen connection. That's a good point. So then we have John's real first test of sorts as Lord Commander. Slint, you know, kind of basically behaving. This is very similar. To the way it's carried out in the show, or in the books and the show, it's very similar, except for uh, the iconic line that f- several people asked uh, d- expressed disappointment that the line wasn't there. Uh, in particular, our knight of the forums, Darren Tucker, wanted to know why was there no Ed, fetch me a block. We were all hoping for it. Lady Gwen, you can uh, you can take us through this this the scene and why that was omitted.
2: Um. Well, I I have to admit I don't know why it was omitted
0: what you don't know why I'm, you didn't, you didn't those... talk to david and dan specifically about this
2: <laughs> no and i'm one of those who gets really disappointed when they omit iconic lines for no apparent reason yeah because it, it's you know there's i've watched that scene a couple times and i thought they could have easily rearranged it ever so slightly with you know no great effort and included that the same way they could have had Littlefinger say only cat when he instead of it only out. your sister, so, yeah. Instead of only your sister, which sort of gutted it. Um, you know, this is just something that book lovers have these iconic phrases that they want to hear, um, and it's disappointing when they're gone. Yeah. Um, I had a but it, you go ahead. That it, 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 it was it's very, but other than that it was it played out. Relatively simple. Yeah, I, I
0: liked John's struggling a little bit with the decision. He, he knew what he had to do, but I liked Kit Harrington did, did a good job of his face betraying how conflicted he was. He knew he had to cut Slint's head off, but he really didn't necessarily want to, even though he knew it was correct and, and it was his job, and Slint earned it for being a, basically being a traitor and, and before that being a coward, which is you know akin to desertion so right. I, I would i would say that this
1: kind of replaces that there's a similar tension in the books but what it is john thinks he's going to hang him and then you know he says i uh, i'm gonna, gonna hang you or something and then in, in you, you get his internal monologue and he thinks this is wrong and he stops so you get this tension of a pause he's not going to do it Right. And then, of course, what he means is this is wrong. I'm going to chop his head off like, you know, <laughs> my Lord Father used to do. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's a, it's a similar tension in the pause. And I think they were just trying to represent that because they, they obviously couldn't do that with the internal monologue and so on.
0: Yeah. And he was really Kit Harrington again with with some quality acting after he does the deed. He's 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 got this look on his face. He's breathing heavily. He's just he's a little shocked. He knew he had to do it, but he you know he found it all very distasteful and but this is for this was actually foreshadowed really, really early in the books, wasn't it, Lady Glynt?
2: Oh yeah, one of my very favorite little bits of foreshadowing um way back in uh Game of Thrones, Sansa is looking at Janus Slint while he's still in King's Landing, and I'll just read the quote. Sansa stared hard at his ugly face, remembering how he had thrown down her father for Sir Ilan to behead. Wishing she could hurt him, wishing that some hero would throw him down and cut off his
0: some head. Hero, eh? Whoa. Some hero,
2: eh? <laughs> so her bastard brother turns out to be a hero. Yeah,
0: a lot of people have taken that yes. quote to, to a, l- a little farther and said, "Some hero, hey," as in the last hero, the mm, last hero. Yes, yes. Mm. Right. so. Very, very sneaky there. I really like it. Mm -hmm. Very well planned ahead there, George. Good job. Good job. Yeah. So speaking of Sansa, let's move on to what I was calling the road to Winterfell in our show-only review, but I think is more accurately reflected as just Moat Kalen. It's a a couple of different sub-scenes here at Moat Kalen. We have the major decision point, Sansa and Littlefinger. Littlefinger presents her with this idea that she's got to go marry the Boltons. First, first she thinks she's marrying Roos. Uh, then she realizes she's marrying Ramsay and doesn't really know who that is. And apparently, this is interesting, the showrunners planned this change to Sansa's plotline back in season, around the season two time frame. They had this in mind way back then. And in some some ways, I, I understand it. I I wonder. I liked it because, and I understand their decision, because they're always faced with the challenge of using, they want to use their best people. They want to use their best actors and actresses, and they don't want to confuse the viewers too much by introducing new characters. Jane Poole wasn't in the show. It's just not, you can't just insert her. And, I mean, you can. It would be a little awkward. So it's kind of, they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. They can either insert this new character... And have her do this, or they can use Sansa for it, who is already doesn't have a lot to do based on where she's at in the books. And they want to use this dynamite actress who's really popular. So I, I, I kind of understand. Like i i i a part of me is like I wish it would be a little like the books, but I really understand the circumstances and why they're using Sansa in this role. And I've really come around on it, to be honest. I kind of like it. What, what do you guys think in general? Without... Commenting too much on the specifics. We'll get into those specifics as we talk about this, but just the idea of Sansa being in this role and, and what it might do for your enjoyment of the show or not. Well, I like a surprise, you know. I, I kind of
1: on one hand the changes big changes can be jarring, but another part of my brain is like, you know, this is quite quite fresh to me, you know. And I think start thinking about the different dynamics and possibilities and then it's quite, you know, quite an exciting change, I think. I think you've got the you've got the fear factor for wanting to kind of protect Sansa and you've got the f- political intrigue. I, I think that... I wouldn't put my money down now, but I think it might turn out to be a decent change. Probably one that book purists are kind of going to hate, yeah. but... Uh, as far as kind of tv show only people they they, they might actually enjoy the way this is going yeah. we'll have to see
0: though it, it could turn out nasty <laughs> I, I also like another aspect of it it creates this little finger ruse bolton skin scenario these two great schemers kind of going at it being like uncertain allies that's pretty cool we didn't get that in the books and i doubt we ever will so mm-hmm. that's kind of i like that that's it that creates a new uh, situation lady going what about what about you what's your take just to, from a high level on this this whole situation
2: um, I, you know, I really thought I was going to hate it when we started getting hints. You know, <laughs> Me early too. On. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but, you Same. know, surprisingly, I think um, I'll be okay with it. I think it will be interesting, um, be different. But um, with the sort of eyes on the long term, I think is going to end up at Winterfell. So if they have to get her there and all those other factors we talked about, um, combining plots and stuff like that—it makes sense. I mean, I'm Not, not that offended by it once it does its play right on. Uh,
0: and of course, we still have plenty to see. They could, you know, they could make it even cooler. They could mess it up somehow. Well, it's another wait and see thing here. But uh, it definitely presents a lot of interesting opportunities. A lot of things it, it does. Uh, I like what Yokeboy said as well about it creating tension and just exciting. And we get to think about new things. It's a whole new thing to analyze kicks are our thoughts new ways who who doesn't who doesn't want to see sansa start playing the game you know who doesn't want to see
1: her start you know using her initiative and using some of a kind of strength that she's built up by this kind of barrage of abuse she's taken over the seasons you, you know, who who doesn't want to see kind of Sansa take the ball by the horns? Whether she'll be able to actually do that with Ramsay <laughs> and Roose around, we don't know. But it, but it, isn't it interesting to think about that Sansa might actually
0: be able to do her maneuvers? That's a it? perfect segue as well to how she made the decision so quickly. That's one complaint I saw that I at first agreed with, but have come around a little bit on it. That whole scene played out so quickly. She's like, no, no, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. And then she just like, within seconds, she kind of just flips around it may have been a little quick I give them a little a bit of a pass on that because it's TV and they really gotta they just have to time is always of the essence there's no point in having her stand there thinking about it for a while that that's not necessary so I'll, I'll give them a pass on that it's a little awkward but I'll give them a pass but you, and but like I said there's some complaints on that some people thought she made the decision quickly and some people thought that she would never go along with it well I'm not saying you guys are wrong, people who have that opinion. But think about it from the other perspective. What is her other choice? What is else is she going to do? Is she going to just stay with Littlefinger? Everyone knows that's a bad. That's bad news. Brienne knows that. We all know that. Sansa, why not? We we can't put that past her. Sansa's getting smarter. She might. She's probably pretty real, realizing that maybe while going with Brienne wouldn't have been great because Brienne can't protect her. Or maybe she did want to go with Brienne but just couldn't because of all the guards around. It seems to her that she knows that no matter what she does, she's going to be in great danger. At least this gives her a chance to, like he said, like Littlefinger said, she's got a shot at going home and getting revenge on the people that did this. She doesn't have a lot of choices. Rocking a hard place. That's what she's got. Mm, and the, the pull of Winterfell, you know. Uh, we'll come to
1: this, but she was recognized. You know, this is a home. This is... She, Lord, uh, Lord Eddard, her father, did so much for the North. She, she must be slightly aware that she might, she might have some people on her side. It must have crossed her mind, maybe. Yeah, uh, I think that the pull of Winterfell, for a lot of reasons, must have been big for Sansa.
0: Okay, um, so let's talk mm-hmm. about Littlefinger's perspective on this deal. Uh, what is uh, listener Vincidius asks? What does Baelish get out of this? What is his endgame? Yokpo, you had one thing hmm. that you we had a couple we have a couple of ideas. You, you, go ahead and tell us the first one. Yeah, I I've, you know,
1: I, reading the books for a long time, I thought that Littlefinger's endgame might be Winterfell to We know what happened in his childhood that he was kind of really disempowered and in his mind probably uh, you know fucked over by the Starks. And uh, he got a nice scar and everything, and it lost the woman he loves. Maybe you know a part of him kind of wants to be a Stark, and Winterfell might be might mean more to him than taking King's Landing. You, you, you don't know. I, I really think that him with Cat, the next best thing to Cat, you know, in Winterfell might be his kind of wet dream.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I think there another pot- potential. You mentioned Cat. That is. Possibly part of his angle. I'm doubtful that his whole angle is is related to Catelyn, but revenge for her death is is a possible angle here. She, he knows Roose Bolton was involved in the Red Wedding, and he's been pining for Catelyn forever. He even in the show it's specifically mentioned by him that he's saving himself for her. So I I'm doubtful that his whole plan here is just to get revenge on Roose Bolton, but there's something very fishy. And Roose Bolton knows it. Roose asks all these questions. You know, he's like a terrible ally. He's like reading his letters and I want to read your, you know, I need to see all these things you're saying. Why are you talking to the Queen? Yeah, he makes... And Bolton himself is not in a, a great position. He's got Stannis to deal with. He admits that the North could rise up against him. We all know, and he knows himself. Littlefinger doesn't know this, although he, it's possible he does. We don't think he knows that Bran and Rickon are out there. So... Bolton's position is tenuous so Bolton asks Littlefinger hey why are you allying with me because he wants to know what do you get out of it he also wants to know and Littlefinger doesn't really give him a straight answer he deflects he says well all ambitious moves are a gamble you know I'm you and I can bring down you know last time the North and the Vale teamed up they brought down the great dynasties He's, he's basically saying don't think about my motivations think about what you can get out of this Because he doesn't want Little... He doesn't want him to think about his motivations too much because I'm guessing there's something sinister going on. I can't imagine that Littlefinger... I mean, it's Littlefinger. Of course he's got something else in mind. Of course he's got other plans. Uh, So we'll kind of have to see. Now, listener L. Marby suggests that... Another thing in play with Littlefinger is his whole outsider status and how he wasn't, as a child, he wasn't good enough to marry a Tully bride. It wasn't just that he was in love with Catelyn. It was that he was in love with the idea of marrying a noble girl and belonging to the nobility, and he wasn't allowed to belong. He was, he was not good enough. So his whole life, a lot of his psychology is based on that rejection and how he's trying to prove himself worthy or better in a lot of ways. So that's a very good point. He, he could be just trying to show these nobles... You know that he's better than them. That he's worthy, more worthy, perhaps. Now, as far as Warden of the North goes, now Bolton is Warden of the North, which is a, a potent title. It has a lot of meaning behind it. We have a question from our Warden of the North again, Jesse Parker, the bastard of Starkville. He asks, "Who are the players for the throne?" It's a good question to kind of, from a high level again, to kind of a review question. Say, "Who are the big players in the throne for the throne in the books versus the show?" In the books, there's characters like Fagon, who seems like he'll be cut. Now, again, I just use that name for convenience. So we know who you're talking about. I don't necessarily, I'm not 100% sold on him being fake, but I just, I just use that name for convenience. Same with Euron. He's a potential candidate for the throne, but he's not even in the show at this point. Lady Gwyn, if we go back to the beginning and look at how it was presented and look at how it's changed, it's kind of, it's, it's, yeah. the scope has really changed in general, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, it has. I mean, it was it started out as a Starks versus the Lannisters, Um, you know, classic good guys, bad guys. And now we have one is powerless and the other is rapidly falling apart. (laughs) Yeah. Where where do things go from here? (laughs)
0: And it's hard to guess from where the books are going because so many different things are happening. We have Stannis' army is much mm-hmm. larger. The Wildlings are different. Mm-hmm. The Boltons, Boltons with the veil situation is totally different. So it is a bit hard to predict where it's going. A lot of things are different. And like Matt said, like Yoke Boy said, that's fun. That's different. We, at least we get to feel anxious. We get to not know it's coming. I, I really like that. But, of course, the, the big thing that's missing from Littlefinger's plan is... He doesn't know that Ramsey's a psychopath, does he? <laughs> so how is this going to work out for Sansa? We're, we can be pretty sure there's going to be some sort of mistreatment in Sansa's future. We, it's doubtful it'll be like the Lady Hornwood level of mistreatment where she ends up biting, you know, eating her own fingers. Either because she was starving or because like Theon, the pain of having your fingers flayed off is so much that you want to bite them off. Uh, maybe it'll be a bit like Jane Poole, at least on the surface, probably, I mean, hopefully not too similar. No, no right. dogs, please. We don't need that. Um, I don't know how they would film that anyway, but <laughs> yeah. so, oh my God, did you have to go there? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked about what we think about this uh, from a high level. Now let's talk about one of the other main wild cards that's going to be a part of this whole northern situation, which is also not in the books at all. And it also is set up here at Moat Kalen, where this is all sort of germinating. This big plot line is coming. And that's the Brienne and Podrick situation who are following close by. Young boy, talk to us a bit about what happens in this scene with Brienne and Podrick. Well, it, it kind of it, it does bring in a
1: lot of stuff from the books. Her tale about Renly is actually taken from three different parts of the books. Okay, first you have the knights at Bitterbridge who all kind of pool their money and they're kind of gambling with each other, you know, winner takes all bet, who can take a maidenhead, okay? So that, that was kind of resembled in the TV show. And then there's the line about Brienne the Beauty, which in the books is the Red Ronnet story and Red Ronnet probably affects her in her childhood more than any character uh, save only perhaps Renly who was mentioned as dancing within the tv shows and you know this is this is what happens this is why she kind of gets uh hesitates to use the word obsessed but you know she, she she's develops quite a crush on Renly in the books I think and uh, perhaps in the tv show there's more there was more hints that she she knew that he was gay and it wasn't a crush a more more admiration but i think in the in the books I, i'm not sure that she has figured out his sexuality and um yes yeah, so another similarity i noticed is that you know there's that bit where pod was uh they were talking about training pod and this actually also happens in the books too uh, i do have a quote you may Uh, You may call yourself a squire, she told him, but I've seen pages half your age who could could beat you bloody. If you stay with me, you'll go to sleep with blisters on your hands and bruises on your arms most every night. And you'll be so stiff and sore that you'll hardly sleep. And Pod, you know, in the books, Pod's like, yeah, this is... I kind of don't want that, but I do. He's up for it, and it was nice to see some semblance of that being represented in the TV show as well.
3: Right
0: on. So, and Lady Gwen, what about Pod's story there? They both kind of tell their origin story in a sense, and, and why they, who are they?
2: Yeah. And this one is also, um, even more so than the Brienne one, pretty much straight from the books. Um, the whole, you know, he served a knight, um, the knight stole ham, and then he was going to hang mm-hmm. for it. Um, the interesting change was in the books. It was Kevin Lannister who saved him and sent him to serve um, mm-hmm. Tyrion in the show. Um, he said yeah, it was Tywin. Pretty small change. Yeah. Seems mm-hmm. it's a small change. It's to me. It seemed utterly out of character for Tywin. Yeah, I agree. But, Tywin's
0: uh, not so not so know, uh, not big on second chances. <laughs>
2: Yeah, exactly. But maybe you know they're probably counting on not everybody watching is as deep in the details about Tywin as some of them. It has also
0: been established that Tywin is big on you know nobility being like a a step above and getting you know getting being allowed to get away with things, so to speak. So that that's
2: right. So he did mention the family name. Yeah.
0: So that that, that's something at least, and that is basically how it works in the book. It's because he's a pain. You know, Kevin gives him a. So that's sort of a carryover. Now. As far as the major, one of the major parts of Brienne's story is 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 her idea that she wants to get revenge on Stannis. In the books, her the uh, notion of her getting revenge on Stannis just seems so far away. Like she's physically so not anywhere near him, not heading in that direction. She seems in danger. There's a lot of questions about whether she'll even survive uh, the Winds of Winter. Whether Stannis will be survive it to even have a chance. Like if Stannis is dead, Brienne's got no chance to get her revenge personally. Also, the concept of Brienne getting revenge in the book is a little bit more muted. It's not something that she's necessarily talked about as much more recently. At first, she's like, I want to get Stannis, I want to get Stannis. But it's it's kind of fallen off a little bit. She doesn't think about it a whole lot in her own point of views. So,
3: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like, like Arya has this list, doesn't mm-hmm. she?
1: And then things become less... She forgets people who faces over time and it seems to become less important sometimes. Well, Brienne, I think she just
0: mentions it that once in the books, right? I, yeah, I think so. Um, now, Yookboy, you noticed... Okay, I'll do... Yeah, go ahead. You, you noticed something about yeah. this this possible thing here that we're talking about with Stannis and Brienne, and uh, what are your thoughts on, on that whole thing? Well, um, just I just wanted to say that in
1: the book, also in the book, something I, I uh, noted was in the House of the Undying... There's a there's a there's a set of three called Slayer of Lies that you know, Danny's a Slayer of Lies, okay? And one of the things seems to be Stannis, Mm. so I was just mentioning that. Um in the tv show should we this is worry of the week okay we've had who've we had so far bron samuel um, Brienne, brianne and, Varys, we had and some one. others can't, and there'll be of, more yeah, stay worry. tuned for the end of the
0: end of this episode we'll go through that in more detail who we're most worried about and we'll update it every week but for now your boy boys got yes. this very specific worry
1: Tune in every week just to worry about <laughs> characters dying, that we don't want to die. Okay, the, the worry of the week has to be Stannis after that line from Brienne. The fact that, you know, she she's, seems to be headed up that way. And the, the fact that they need to cut down on characters. <laughs> so what, could could they do it? I, I don't, you know I don't see why not it's it's difficult because we don't know what stance's future is we might think we do we might think that he's going to uh get, you know kick some butt <laughs> in winds of winter but it we we don't it could come we, to a how often is it, George George's Mm. yeah it could
0: just come to a screeching halt all of a sudden and stannis is kicking ass kicking ass and then all of a sudden no no more kicking ass stannis now you're dead (laughs) (laughs) Dead, dead. he does
1: like to kind george does kind of like put you on a high and then you know surprise you and slap you in the face so i I expect to be slapped in the face it's much easier (laughs) (laughs) now (laughs) listeners i recommend it
0: (laughs) (laughs) Listener Sarvesh C asks, will Brienne take Abel slash Mance's role, including getting caught by Ramsay? That is a great question, because this this alluded to what we talked about at the beginning of the show, about looking for opportunities for plot lines that seem cut to not be cut, just to be taken up by other characters. And this is a very, very good idea. The possibility, other than the fact that it's scary, and uh, we hope that awful things don't happen to Brienne. But... She's getting added to the Worry of the Week because of this idea. As well as we already had her on the Worry of the Week last week. We already worried about her. So, it's just... We're, I'm just double worried about her now. Because this is very true. This is a very good call. Yeah. Mance goes into Winterfell to try to rescue fake Arya. And he's got his own plans as well, potentially. But we won't speak to that too much. Brienne obviously doesn't really have her own plans. If she goes to Winterfell, it's all about rescuing Sansa. She doesn't really care about much else. Unless there's a chance to get revenge on Stannis in the meantime. But... So I can see it going a couple of ways. Maybe maybe Brienne's death will be that she saves Sansa but dies in, in the process. She helps Sansa escape but gets captured by Ramsay and is tortured to death by the worst person to be tortured to death by. Yeah. Um. Well, how about this?
1: How about if Brienne does have a bit of difficulty but it's more like the biter situation where she gets some kind of, you know, mutilation or, you know, something physical happens to her but but she gets away so it's a bit of both it's a kind of worry of the week but with a it's a bittersweet worry yeah if she can.
0: survives we can we can handle her getting torn up a bit if she survives that would be a that's better than mm-hmm. just her dying so <laughs> right. i like your idea i i, I think that my theory is just as strong uh, or sarvesh's theory is just as strong giving the listener credit where it's due but i prefer <laughs> to see her survive now, another listener question from Ted. How is Brienne going to get past Moat Kalen? She says she's going to go around. And this raises an interesting question. I, first of all, I think the show is just playing a little loose with that because there is no way around. Right. Uh, there is, besides taking ship. Now, so that could be it. Taking ship would be relevant. That would be a valid way to get there. The problem with that, in as far as where things are, uh, Moat Kalen is on the west. Is kind of the west. They're on the west side of Moat Kalen. If they take a ship around the west side... That's Ironborn territory right now. That's risky. Taking a ship from the east, that could work. Now, the reason that Littlefinger and Sansa didn't take ship, presumably, is because they didn't want to have to go through White Harbor, which is where they would have to go through, and that's just too many people could see them. That's a. It's White Harbor is one of the most populous locations in all the Seven Kingdoms. They're bound to get spotted. They don't want that, so they're taking to the road where they can be a little sneakier. So, I guess, like I said, I think the show is just playing loose with, with going around Mokail, and I don't think there is a way around it. But they're allowed to change the geography a little bit but they've also shown that they really don't have a lot of respect for the time passing like the best example being asha going to sailing to the dreadfort somehow (laughs) all the way around westeros and up (laughs) up the the Weeping water that was yeah that's
2: an entire season yeah that's that
0: that was a little bit silly but that's one of the show's lowest uh points i think um, She's still trying yeah. to get back. Yeah, she needs yeah. Gendry rowing for her. <laughs> so, then... They're <laughs> so right.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so in the interest of time, we need to keep moving. Let's go to Winterfell. A lot of, we've covered some of the stuff that's happening at Winterfell because they, these things are all related. The road to Winterfell, Winterfell, these plots are all intertwined. But we get a shot of Winterfell. We get to see what's happening. We see this rebuilding. We see one of the interesting things, one of the interesting pieces of detail they chose to show us is is some random guys carrying raven cages, which is interesting. That's mm-hmm. that's an interesting little thing to show us as being set up, that the messages going back and forth is, is going to be important. The control of information is really important because Sansa is yes. there. And it's, it's only a matter of time before news gets out that, that King's Landing and Cersei and everybody finds that out. We, who knows when? But it's bound to happen eventually. Mm-hmm. But with Roose and Littlefinger controlling the information, they're both good at that. They can at least delay yeah. the inevitable but Mm -hmm. we're immediately confronted by these other kind of gross things the other things that remind us of who's in charge there we see these these flayed men so so lady go and take us through that
2: oh so the flayed men um well it's a flayed man and flayed woman and we find out in the very next scene that um it's lord kerwin and his wife and uh brother i assume maybe the brother is the one in the (laughs) cart yeah (laughs) the raven pecking at his chest um
1: that raven seemed to enjoy you know he had a good old
0: mouthful (laughs) didn't
2: he he? (laughs) yeah do they train them
3: to eat the bodies they're
2: not real bodies Kerwins are tasty (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) i think we covered that uh so you know, it's so in the books of course, Lord Medgar Kerwin died at Harrenhal of wounds he had received at the Battle of mm-hmm. Green Fork. Um, Arya sees him there. That's one of those kind of like oh almost so close yeah. moments. <laughs> um and the new lady of House Kerwin is Jonella Kerwin. Um so her, her brother was killed in the I think it's her yeah. brother, Clay was killed in the sack of Winterfell, shot through the eye with an arrow. Um, maybe by Ramsey or definitely <laughs> Just, One yeah, just
0: some men. guy. <laughs> some dreadfort man. Um,
2: so, some dreadfort man killed Clay Kerwin. So, you know, sort of similarities there, and definitely set up to be, you know, as <laughs> Ramsey says, the new Lord Kerwin paid his taxes. <laughs> so, uh, Lady Janella Kerwin in the books is sort of, you know, being very acquiescent to yeah. the Holtons, as far as we know. We haven't really seen much of her, but... Um, the Kerwins are, of course, one of the most powerful of the Starks' uh, bannermen. Um, they're also the closest. Yeah, they're, they're very close.
0: I think, it's, I think it said it's only a few days' ride.
2: Yeah, so I, my idea that it, the, the reason why in the books um, Janelle Kerwin has not appeared on the page is because she would obviously recognize Arya Stark. As
0: Jane Poole, or, yeah.
2: yeah probably, probably, she would probably recognize Jane Poole as mm-hmm. Jane Poole. Uh, the Kerwins were that that would explain close.
0: why she wasn't invited indeed, so. yes,
2: <laughs> so she was not invited. She was sent home, so um, she was probably perfectly happy to be not, not there. yeah,
0: she's like, darn, that's the best non invite <laughs> I ever got. Yeah. <laughs> so now we also have the scene that is a little bit similar to the books. We have Roose, uh telling Ramsey how you know terror can't you can't just use terror all the time and this is similar to how he's threatening to turn lady uh, lady dustin into a pair of boots and how Roose is just kind of disgusted with that he's like look terror has its place but you just can't do that to everybody that's just that's just stupid you that's not gonna work you have to be more nuanced you have to strategize you can't just it's it dates back to what we talked about in the first episode about how you can't just break down these obstacles and these barriers you have to work with them you, you have to strategize you can't sometimes that's the right thing to do sometimes just Going full full force and being ultra violent is the right play, but it can't. It's not going to work always. He goes through this, explains why alliances are important, builds up to this the, the most important type of alliance, the most powerful type of alliance, is a marriage. But all throughout this, as Sansa is introduced as the possibility, we know that the person listening is Theon, and he's just sitting there listening, and he knows who Sansa is. And boy, you had some thoughts on Theon in this scene. Yeah, Theon listening in. Do you know what he—he's a great
1: actor, isn't he? Whatever you think about Alfie Allen, he didn't say a word in this episode, but he, you know, had an enormous presence, didn't he? He really did. So, my thoughts. Well, isn't it getting slowly set up that Theon could help Sansa? And I'm not. I'm not just talking about uh, you know a, a like for like with the kind of Jane Poole f- situation here. I, I'm talking about them doing something else, but something re- redemptive. You know, so do, doing something. He's listening in. He's at, at Winterfell. He's ruined this family and this place. You know what could he? What could he do? Could he? empower Sansa could he save her could he screw over Ramsay behind his back who knows who knows but I think again like we were saying this is part of the interesting dynamics that you know Sansa might have a few hidden friends coming out of the woodwork and a a chance for Theon to get some redemption I think he needs to Um, one question we discussed earlier that in the show at least, John knows that Bran's alive. Whether that was just a mis- kind of mistake that's cre- created a plot hole, we don't know. But will Theon tell Sansa that Bran's alive? And this time will it actually have more, more meaning? Will it be reflected on? Will Sansa get some strength from it? Will Theon not mention it? I don't know. I don't know what they'll do with it. But Theon does
0: know that... Mm-hmm. <laughs> What he did and what he didn't So that's do. that's good to mention Theon. And, uh, and there's also, like you said, some other people coming out of the woodwork, but there's this one important character that's that's very barely appeared on the show, but they give her an important look. They give her some just a brief amount of screen time. And we're wondering what's in store for her. Yeah, Miranda, yeah. right? We're talking about Miranda. Well, we saw her, I think
1: last season, we saw her hunting a girl. And um, if... I remember correctly. It showed that she was pretty jealous of this girl, and you know they they fed her to the dogs. It was mm. pretty gross. She 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 seems like the f- female equivalent of Ramsay, but with a kind of jealous <laughs> streak. And you see Sansa, kind of getting matched up, and there she is. You know the the camera really panned around, and it was very it was on purpose. It showed her. So what what I'm wondering is if she. Is jealous of Sansa if she's an early, you know, Ramsay will play nice for a while. But I think that this Miranda girl will make some kind of maneuver against Sansa, and that can go one of two ways. Whether you know she does that with Ramsay's blessing, I doubt it. I think that if she goes against Sansa, Ramsay might actually, you know, not not be too too pleased with that, given the matches of so much importance. Yeah. So if I was Miranda, I'd be very careful about the jealousies here
0: because I doubt doubt Ramsey is a kind of loyal person to his (laughs) girlfriends and stuff. And as I pointed out earlier in this episode, remember that the showrunners have planned for this since season two. So I'm very sure that, that that scene with Miranda last season where we see how jealous she is was definitely they had that in mind for this arc otherwise like who else would it be for like her jealousy is pointless sense is the only woman that's come into ramsey's life that matters at all and clearly she's a threat so uh pr- i don't know where they're going with this but props for the showrunners to for planning something this far in advance and put and finally putting it into play well i'm curious to see where it goes i i think it's it's hard to connect these two but one of the things that happens in the books is manse's spearwives get caught and various bad things happen to them some of them maybe get flayed this could be a very loose parallel to that. If they turn on the turn on Ramsey and get caught, they could be tortured much in the same way these spearwives were. They're of course coming from a much different direction. They're a different loyalty and all that, but it could play out sort of similarly. Uh, and Yokeboy, you also noted some of the some someone has to get flayed. <laughs> Somebody has to get flayed. Hopefully don't not Brienne. Yeah.
1: Uh, we we, we both bought- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it won't be Sophie well. Turner. Yeah, I, I was gonna. <laughs> Uh, no, we don't want it to be Sansa. I'd rather it was Mir- jealous Miranda than uh, Sansa if anyone. But there's and, but there's other helpers okay, aren't there? There's other so, people
0: that, that might be of, of benefit yeah, to Sansa. I mean, who's going to come to
1: Sansa's aid? Uh, whether it's Miranda or whether it's actually from, you know, Ramsey or some of these dreadful psychos, <laughs> who knows. But we we mentioned Theon, okay? She she might find a friend in Theon and he he knows a lot of stuff. He, you know, he's worth a lot for the stuff that he knows, like we said. Uh, But we did get a glimpse of a serving woman who came into Sansa's, showed Sansa a bedroom. I I think it was a bedroom. And she said, welcome back, Lady Stark. The North remembers. And that was like a boom. It was quite a quiet line, but there was a... Silent boom for kind of b- book fans and stuff. Yeah, it was
0: like they, it was almost like they, we weren't necessarily expecting to hear that line. It's a big iconic line from the books, but we didn't, you don't, you don't hear a lot of people right. calling for it. Like, when are they going to say the North remembers? We were all expecting Ed, fetch right. me a block. Mm. Well, at least we got the North remembers. Yep. We got a little something. Yep, they didn't give did. us the line we most wanted, we but we got this, and that was a little bit of a surprise. So yeah, I agree. That was a, I, I mm-hmm. pumped my fist when I heard it. I was like, yeah, the North remembers. All right.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Another. Oh, Something this that's poem. missing from this whole Winterfell scenario that's a big part of the... A huge part of the Winterfell scenario with the books is this whole other family that we all hate. Uh, Lady Gwyn, talk to them. And talk about them for a sec.
2: Where are the <laughs> phrase? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, with the... There's no Wyman well, Manderley, so, you know, that's... What, well, some of them came with him, but some of them came with... uh quite a few of them actually many more of them yeah like 2000 yeah um 2000 uh he brought a force and um it seems like in the show uh, he just brought fat walda and (laughs) (laughs) no sign of the other phrase so apparently we won't be getting to see any of those great sort of dynamics with phrase and uh, northerners um but is there you know could there be any role there for fat walda is she going to maybe take the brunt of
0: that. I, I've wondered about that. I had a few crackpot ideas. Another thing that's missing is you mentioned is Wyman Manderly. Is, is it possible that an obscure subtle connection is being made here? Instead of Manderly being the one to be the, the spearhead of revenge from the inside against the Boltons, is it now going to be Littlefinger? And mm-hmm. uh, we've already spoken to Littlefinger mm-hmm. and his p- potential desire to get revenge on Roos because of Catelyn. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine Littlefinger serving people pies with people in them, but hey, <laughs> Fat Walda could make several pies. <laughs> She's good
2: for a few. <laughs> I don't.
0: can we have Ramsay? Uh, Fat Walda seems.
1: Fat Walda seems very lovely yeah. on the TV show. She seems. He seems very friendly. I, I think that wouldn't it be just <laughs> it wouldn't it just be just here. such a but. kick
0: to the teeth, but also hilarious in a very disgusting kind of way. If somehow Roose Bolton ate Fat Walda instead of
3: oh. instead of yes.
0: <laughs> eating Rhaegar
1: Simon,
3: oh, yeah. and, and
0: it well, it would probably have the same kind of dark. <laughs>
1: darkness that the actual Frey pies do I, I really books.
0: want them to do it and it's it's another one of those like people talk about it so much there's so many memes and like the fray pies is like a big like talking point I, I hope they don't i i don't think they would miss out on that but maybe they just can't fit it in so
2: i hope they at least nod to it so even if they can't you know fit the whole yeah line thing in there so
0: this to... this was my uh, this was another late addition to the to our f- talking points i was like you know what that's missing is there is there gonna be any pies <laughs> coming up <laughs> are we gonna see any cannibalism expressed through
2: i know if if there's a feast and they show big pies on the everyone table, yeah <laughs> uh, my eyes are gonna get really big I'm like oh there they are, there they are. There they are. <laughs> there's people there's people in that
0: soylent pie is made of people <laughs> And if, and if Roos doesn't eat uh, Walda, maybe Ramsey eats Roos or... I don't know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be the so, best. I, th- I, think, so okay.
0: I think you're into this cannibalism, <laughs> other,
2: aren't you? <laughs> you?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. It's just, it's just my enjoyment of exotic foods, you know. <laughs>
2: surely, surely cannibalism makes good television. Yeah.
3: Well,
0: speaking of exotic foods, yes. let's go to the uh, exotic location of Volantis. That's our final destination for this episode. We are... We're making pretty good time here. We've got a little bit left. We've got just enough time for this section and our credits. So let's do it. Uh, we've got Volantis in the box. Tyrion and, and Varys are in the box together, and Pentos to Volantis is a really long way to go by road. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the way the show deals with long distances, it, most people just cross these long distances just like that. So this somehow, but for some reason, Tyrion and Varys' journey is just taking a lot longer. But We get to Volantis, we see um, one of the themes of this episode, which is identity, and we see all these slaves who their identity is defined for them, their tattoos on their faces, and they go through what all the different identities and different types of tattoos are. And then we run into this red priestess. Her name is Rila Fukushima. She's uh, a somewhat famous actress. She's in the show Arrow. She was in the movie Wolverine, which is a bit of a spoiler. Not that I told you that she was in those roles, but she's a little bit important as an actress, which to me says... We haven't seen the last of her. That's not... That was not a one-shot scene for her. I think we'll see her. She clearly seems to be taking the role of Benero, uh, the high priest of the Red Temple in Volantis, who is... You know... Uh, the, the one who first names Daenerys as an actual religious savior. So, Yoke Boy, talk to that a bit. That's mm. a really interesting development.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, in the books... It's kind of... I think we're getting hints that the kind of these... Can we call them Reds? The uh, yeah, sure <laughs> who, are, you know, seem to be hand in hand with the kind of the, the slave class in Volantis. We get a few hints that they want to help, Danny. And we also told that in Volantis, the, the population is overwhelmingly of slaves. So if they rise up and Benero seems to be kind of stirring them up, then Volantis has got got a problem, but that might in turn be a help for Danny. The Volantis have have sent boats to you know attack Danny and to uh, you know in the Battle of Fire. But again, they're rowed by slaves, so I think we can take a little bit of a guess at what could happen to those boats <laughs> and how useful they Indeed. might be so i'm just wondering how that could translate we're we're being shown volantis if there is a kind of secret army for her or something like that i don't don't know if the her kind of liberating the slave is causing a a lot of problems in marine but you know in volantis it, it might create this uprising as i said so Will, will danny get any benefits will, what do you think is it possible i mean in the tv show will, will danny benefit from, from i believe Mantis? so i
0: think you're out you know you hit the nail on the head with that point about how this is an allusion to the people these these are future supporters of her she's already a hero amongst the slave populations and of course they're hearing rumors about her and rumors are always blown out of proportion so danny sounds like this incredible mm. like huge ultra savior figure when in reality she's kind of things are a bit of a mess. She is that figure, but it's not she doesn't just have everything under control. She's got plenty of problems to deal with. So, it's going to take her a while to maybe resolve those things and, and get herself to Volantis and as we know, the books haven't gotten to that point. We don't know what's going to happen in Volantis if she if she even will go there or whether Volantis will kind of come to her so to speak. So it's very interesting, but I agree that it's part of her, you know, she's sort of the stallion who mounts the world. That prophecy is, is, she's the one fulfilling that prophecy. She's the one gradually uniting these different peoples of the world. She has the most, she has the multinational army, Dothraki, Gisk— you know, all the different Giscari races, you know, Westerosi, you know, sellswords from a variety of nations. She's the one doing all these things. So a couple of questions from listeners based on this scene here. From Bill Davis III, is, is Benero, are Banero, Makoro, and the Dusky Woman all being rolled into Rila Fukushima, this red priestess here? Is she is using the law of conservation of actors? Is that what's happening here? I think that's a, that's a good possibility there, Bill. I think you might be right. Certainly, uh, we've already alluded to the similarities with Benero. The way she stares at Tyrion and kind of gives him that look, that's kind of Makoro. That's kind of along the lines of Makoro yeah. telling Tyrion that he's in the middle of all these dragons and important events. Yeah. Any other thoughts on, on the... One thing I'm not sure about is the dusky woman. I can't see how she fits into that role, or, or uh, but it's possible. Do you guys have any thoughts on, on that at all?
2: I don't see it yet, but it would be possible. possible. Might I mean, should have
0: asked for clarification.
1: It's later, HBO.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After all. <laughs> they, could, they can do whatever they want, so. yeah.
1: No, I, I would right. definitely say that the, the, the Benaro-Mokoro the, thing and... Who knows? I, I don't think... it. I think they will probably also alter yeah. the character their own way this time. I mean, mm-hmm. it is Maybe he suggested the, the dusky woman because, you know, she's yeah. a female. Uh, and uh, I, I can't really make connection... With the Dusky Woman myself, but I haven't thought yeah. about it that much, so there might be... I, I feel
0: like the, the likely cut of so much of this Greyjoy <laughs> plot means that she's probably cut as well. But she might still have a role to play. It's, it's hard to say what her ultimate role in the books is, so that's, that's kind of... A, that's, uh, we'll say that we'll call that a wait and see. A, a similar question from listener Matt Re, uh, Does he, he, uh, he wanted to know if we thought that the Red Priest staring at Tyrion, which we already mentioned was a parallel to Makoro, does that confirm or hint at the Tyrion-Targaryen theory? I'd say hmm. it kind of does. What do you guys um, think?
2: Kind of, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know uh, that Macoro, uh one of those Makoro quotes, is a key piece of evidence that's used in the Targaryen theory. So,
3: yeah,
1: maybe. Okay. I, I, I would. I'm going to go against you and say that no, and we, you know, we don't know why she looked at him yet. On the TV show, I'm talking about True. he. Yeah. We, we, we don't know. We might find out that you know she just senses that. He's he's uh, special. Uh, whether you believe in the Tyrian Targaryen idea or not, I mean, um, she doesn't have to be looking at yeah. him because of that reason. He could he could be very, a, a big player, mm. whether he's got a drop of dragon yeah. blood or not. Okay, well, that's so, good. We've
0: got descending opinions there, so we'll have to see how that, that comes out. I, I like it when we don't all agree on everything. It gives us different potentials. So we're trying to move... Yeah, we're very we're very friendly though. We we you know we we argue yeah, about Yeah, then we get into fistfights. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't hit each other in the face. All the bruises are below the chest here. Yeah, right. Yes, no, not the not face. The face. Not. not the face. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm a YouTube. Star okay, so now. we are we are running a little short of time. So let's let's move on here. Uh, let's go to the matter of grayscale, which has now been brought up twice in two different places. And both of those scenes refer to each other. Tyrion mentions that prayer is worthless versus Grayscale. And we're confronted with Grayscale while also confronted with Selyse, who is a zealot. You know, a person whose prayers would be worthless, a believer in R'hllor. That might be a bit of a nod to each other. Who do you guys think is going to be in in, in the show, or rather in the books? John Connington is the one bringing Grayscale to Westeros with the potential for Shireens to also awaken. Well, that potential still exists in the show. Shireens can awaken somehow. But who is gonna be quote unquote patient zero? Do you guys have any thoughts on who that might be? Tough guess. Let no, me throw I'm, one out. Let me throw one out know, here. I, I I'll can't... throw an idea at you then. Throw- I think right. Varus. It could be Varus. Go. Varus is now detached from Tyrion. Mm-hmm. He's we, we were worried about him dying. Mm-hmm. So he's i yeah. I'm a little less worried about him dying because he wasn't killed during this split from Tyrion. Uh, so he might be the one to he he might be returning to 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 Westeros. He might be the one with grayscale. I, I can't think of anyone else. Through the process of elimination, I don't know who else it could be.
1: Well, I think i I think Tyrion. I think in the books uh, Tyrion could get grayscale. Mm. So maybe the you know maybe they're going there in the TV show. I think that you know he had that experience yeah. in the Sorrows. And you know, if he if he turned to stone, he'd just be like a little gargoyle. <laughs> and remember how he entered? Or uh, early on, we see him. I've got the quote: "Looking for all the world like a gargoyle." <laughs> and then later on in in game, you have um, the gargoyles are described. Perhaps perhaps once they had been lions, but now they were twisted and grotesque, which is how Tyrion's described. I think that this, rather than you know, uh, who's going to replace Jon Con, it could, it could be uh, you know all this all about Tyrion's longer term arc that he might. get so I wonder get grayscale. Uh, that's that's, I, my that's a good thought.
0: There. I wonder where he would get grayscale because the sorrows are you know they've they're well past that. Volantis, mm-hmm. it's on the other side of Volantis, but they could of course they could play with the geography. He could, right. he could, it could happen on the way back. He could get grayscale somewhere else. Mm-hmm. The Demon Road along the demon is room. it is it is it sexually <laughs> transmitted they
1: could get another br- bruffle scene in <laughs> oh my so <laughs> this yeah. the lady Wynn, tell us what
0: happens next <laughs> uh, Tyrion runs into who we all we all knew it was coming those us, us book readers uh, at least we assumed it was we saw his face mm-hmm. in that scene we knew it was coming and he says i'm taking you to the queen what does he mean
2: he i think i think we all know what that means um Tyrion does not, and probably if you haven't read the books, you do not. I think it's willfully yeah. ambiguous. Uh, I'm sure Tyrion thinks he's, as he does in the books, that he means <laughs> Cersei. So, um, so, of course, he means he's taking him to Danny. Um, and we'll have to see how that journey goes. I just want to say that I got the biggest kick out of the uh, Danny costume <laughs> Um, (laughs) i really really but then they showed her and there was jorah sort of sitting there looking sullen jorah and she was in the background and i thought i wonder what he (laughs) thinks of her i I wonder how many times he he, i
1: wonder how many times he's paid for her he's uh, probably uh, bankrupted himself
2: crossed my mind but you know i've had
0: i've heard a lot of people (laughs) suggesting that we're going to see that cosplay turn up a bit too much now at conventions and stuff and (laughs) And oh, I don't mean gosh. the Jor- sad Jorah uh, sitting in the corner cosplay. Uh-
2: <laughs> no, we I mean the, the, the uh, yeah, the Just back a is... little bit
0: of material cut out the <laughs> butt. Yeah, there'll be, be prosthetic butts, I think. But, you know, <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: right. I think we'll see that. It's amazing how much so we talked about themes in this episode. And, uh, you know, identity, revenge, journeys, asses, apparently, is the other one. Big <laughs> the one, big I one. Aha, I see what you did there. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> I, I, I one last thing about Jora and Tyrion before we get into our end credits and our fun summary, uh, getting it all together and our week, our watch, uh, our our worries for the week, is that we have all these pairs of characters that travel the countryside together, wherever the countryside happens to be. Podrick and Brienne, Arya and Sandor, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to Jora and Tyrion together. That could be fun. So. I don't know if that. I don't know how long they'll be yeah. together, but I assume they'll be together for a little while, and that uh, that should make for some good TV. So I'm looking forward to that.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah,
0: yeah,
1: they're both depressed. They, <laughs> hopefully they'll cheer each other. Yeah, up, they're they're strange
0: bedfellows in that regard. They're both uh, yeah, they're both sad sacks. could it could go either way. <laughs> They're both really messed up about something to do with a woman, you know. <laughs> Did you notice that that the whore right. that, that Tyrion picked had you know brown curly hair? It was very much looking like Shay, right? Yeah. Which yeah. is probably why he couldn't uh-huh. perform. Yeah. So, uh, so let's 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 talk about some summary here uh, again. The themes of service and submission and identity and revenge were all throughout this all throughout this episode. We have ca- characters big and small, like Cersei, all the way down to the little ones like some of the Night's Watch brothers or, the, you know, some of the members of the faith. And we also have a theme that was introduced to me offline by listener Janine, the Dragonwalker, who, who suggested that there was a lot of journeys in this episode. We have Sansa making a big travel. We have Varys and Tyrion traveling this, their huge journey, with, and with Jorah mm. as well. We also have journeys of, of a less traveling nature and more of a, you know, a, of a metaphorical nature where we have people coming of age and lots of growth, and we, of course, have the the rise of the faith and these other things. And potential journeys like Cersei, maybe going back to Casterly Rock. She probably won't, but it's at least mentioned. So mm-hmm. let's, let's talk about our worries of the week as we wrap things up here. Characters that we are most worried about dying. It's very scary, isn't it? Uh, right now, my personal biggest fear is... I, I'm worried about Braun. I'm a little worried about Jora. Very worried about Brienne. Uh, a little worried about Roose. As much as I can be worried about a guy, I'm not a big fan of. I like the character, but I, you know, I don't like him. Like him. <laughs> I'm less worried about Varys, as yes. I said. Sansa, Arya, Danny, Tyrion, safe as always. I have no worries about them. All right, Lady Gwen, what about yeah. you? Who are you worried about? Who are your worries of worries of the week and the week?
2: Okay, my worries of the week. Um... Definitely, um, Brienne. Okay. Um, the others, you know, we sort of carrying over Brienne and Stannis, um, and carrying over still Braun and Barristan mm-hmm. from, um, from last week. Um, and. Uh, Out of the,
0: besides the characters that I said yeah. are safe, are there any characters that you think are particularly safe? Maybe others think are, are more likely to die.
2: Um. No, I don't really see No one is, is safe. Other than the ones you mentioned. I agree I, I agreed with those four. No um, one is safe. But, yeah, Notice I,
3: I omitted John because safe. we all know what's coming for him.
2: <laughs> right. I was going to put him in my, you know, most I, likely to gonna die. Say,
1: uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say I feel safe with Brienne. I, you know, the anxiety of last week's wherever of the week is, is just okay. being washed away. Mm-hmm. I feel Brienne, she's going to have a hard time. She might get some... You know, pieces of his skin missing or some <laughs> shit like that. But I, I, I feel like Brienne's here for the long term, and I. I and I'm you also mentioned one, Stannis, you
0: know. so we'll we'll keep that in mind as well.
1: Yeah, Stannis, Stannis, uh, yeah. watch your back. You've got uh, you've got Brienne tough after you, and you, you know she's seen the sh- shadow of your face. Lady Gwen, there's someone you, you
0: wanted to see die, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, because I've read the question is who do I think will die this season. <laughs> And um, my who do I think was <laughs> all the people I mentioned possibly plus please God. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> so we have a we, surely that, a lot of good predictions. Yeah. Hopefully we didn't. Hopefully we didn't make too many of you anxious for our predictions on who's going to die. When you if you consider us to be knowledgeable, somewhat expert on on these predictions, we can call ourselves experts. It's kind of a joke. The, the, fact, but, the
1: fact that <laughs> hopefully we are not scaring too many people we, with that.
0: <laughs>
2: all right
1: the, the fact we change our minds every week <laughs> should be some reassurance yeah. for. You. we're as
0: anxious as a lot of you guys are we don't know so, what we're talking about <laughs> thanks to yoke boy and lady Gwen, i'm rushing to the end here to the finish line we're running out of time so tell us what's coming up at radio Westros for you guys there's something exciting you guys have coming out
1: yeah i just wanted to tell you listeners who haven't haven't heard us come and check out our podcast uh dot Uh, you know come and give us a listen we make these things for people like you so give it give it a try we have got an episode all about barristan selmy about his arc about his knighthood about kingsguard that that'll be out probably by the time you hear this it's coming out in the 24 hours after we record this so it will be out soon and yeah and cheers yeah for listening and do you want to say anything lady Gwynn?
2: No, I'm gonna let Aziz wrap it up. I <laughs> okay, wrap it up. Okay, yeah. Thanks for being here, guys.
0: Care, great conversation. Great episode. Oh, it's great. Thanks for having us on. It's it's wicked. And
1: send in all yes. your questions, people. So we can definitely make this send a really us more good questions. Show. You heard us
0: integrate those questions into the show. We're gonna keep doing that. So if you have good questions, good thoughts, just even a good prediction, just throw it at us. We'll good chance you'll get it mentioned in the show. Thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. Who make the show possible from a financial standpoint thanks to everyone who spreads the show by word of mouth that is a huge impact over the years we have grown largely through word of mouth mostly by just doing what we do and being trying to be consistent and slowly getting better all the time we try to make small improvements so thanks to everybody i don't have time to go through everyone individually because we're so short on time but if you want to hear your name mentioned on the show you can do that by sending us questions you can also Uh, Subscribe to us on Patreon or send us a regular donation through historyofwesteros.com. Click on the donate button. All the shopping links on the left, or rather on the right side of the sidebar there. Everything there can you can anything there you can purchase at its regular price. Those merchants will share their profits with us, so it's a great way. It's great win-win. You can support the show and get things that you were going to buy anyway. So I had a I had a feature a, a, a feature that I wanted to do at the end of this episode, but we don't have time. I'll save it for next time. It's a humor piece. So I'll just have to hold on to that. I'll keep that as a little mini spoiler teaser for next time around. So folks, thanks very much for tuning in. Thanks for supporting the show. And we will see you all next week. Valor Morgulis from Radio Westeros to History of Westeros. See you all next time. Thanks a lot. And we are done. Cool. All right. Good job. Mm-hmm. good job, everyone. That was great. That was really good. Mm-hmm. Cool. Very what smooth, very flowing. We all, we, we didn't we didn't have a lot of It was that, Shay just came in the room, it was that.